Morning, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, can I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31? If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles in the pews, and it's on page 793. Uh, it's a key chapter in the Old Testament, and in fact, the bit we're going to read reappears in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 8. One of the uh, one of the things you discover about Windsor Baptist Church, and you discover it really quickly, and now you're all worried. What's he going to say? He's only been here a month. Uh, but one of the things that you quickly discover are the number of medics who are who are part of this congregation, this community of people, doctors, consultants, nurses, professors, anaesthetists, etc., etc. If you're going to get sick, and if you're going to need attention, then there's probably no better time. No better place to feel unwell than somewhere between 10.30 and 12 noon on a Sunday morning in this building because there will be any number of people to attend to your condition. And I understand it actually has happened on a few occasions. But this morning, what I want us to do is imagine that each of us has come not to church, but that you've come to a treatment centre, to a consulting room, and we're here because we've been called in to check the condition of our hearts. And in the first Sunday, or on the first Sunday of 2009, at the start of a new year, this seems like a good time to do this. An ideal opportunity to investigate the state of the heart, which is the title for this new series. And so for the next seven or eight Sunday mornings, I hope that this place will become a bit like a theatre where all of us will undergo some open-heart surgery at about this time each week. Now that means that it might get a little uncomfortable. It might even get a wee bit messy as well. But ultimately, we could be much healthier as a result. Now, I do need your permission for this. Although, and you're going to be very relieved, I'm not the cardiologist, okay? And neither is Paul Johnson, in fact. But what I'm actually inviting you to do during January and February is to allow God to examine the state of your heart. To give God consent to open you up and actually take a look in here at the real you. The real you. We'll come back to that in a moment. And at the very start, before we go any further, I'd like us to pause for a moment's silence. And in the silence, I'm going to invite you to echo these words of David from Psalm 139. And in the quietness, whenever I show you these words, I would just like you to say this phrase over to yourself if you feel able to. Let's take a moment's silence. And as you authorize God to scan your heart this morning, what does he find? Does he find a heart that is soft, that is compassionate, that is surrendered, that is generous, that is forgiving, that is humble? Or does he detect a heart that is hard or is hardening, 
a heart that is cold, indifferent, maybe even bitter this morning, a heart that's divided, a heart that's in the process of drift, a heart that is actually unforgiving. Do you know, throughout Scripture, these and many other heart conditions are mentioned, they're highlighted, they're discussed, they're challenged, they're exposed. And together, I hope that we will be able to diagnose various heart conditions. But in diagnosing them, we'll then allow God to go about the process of treating them. But why is this all so important? Well, let me put it this way if it's not too crass. When it comes to Christianity, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. You see, the state of in here, the condition of your heart and mine is phenomenally significant. And so, for example, that is why the, the writer of Proverbs says this. Above all else, they just stop there. Above all else. So, in other words, there are not many things, in fact, any, more important than what he's about to say. Above all things, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Or as another translation captures it, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything. It affects absolutely everything that you do. As a result of some time off back in 2001, this became and has become what I describe as my life verse. And I will share the story of that in in a few weeks' time. Now, whenever we talk about the heart from a faith perspective, or within a biblical context, we're not talking about the physical blood-pumping organ that resides within our chests. The word heart, the term heart in the Bible, relates to our emotions, to our wills, to our intentions, to our minds, our thinking ability, and to our conscience. The heart is... As I said, it's the real you, it's the essential you. Someone has said that all the ways in which the Bible refers to the inner person, the mind, emotion, spirit, will, etc., are summed up in this one term, heart. So it's out of the heart that you speak. One of the ways, actually, to discover the condition of someone's heart is to listen to how they speak. It's out of the heart that we make choices. It's out of the heart that we make a conscious, willful decision to love God. It's out of the heart that we behave. It's out of the heart that we relate to one another. It's out of the heart that we worship. So the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so the condition of your life will be determined by the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart will determine the condition of your life, your spiritual Life. And that's why the heart is being described as the steering wheel of every human being because its influence on our lives on a day-to-day basis is incredibly powerful. And that's why God wants to operate in your life and in my life at the level of our hearts. Because God actually wants to transform us. 
God wants to change us. God wants to make us more like Jesus. The the message of Christianity, the good news of the gospel, has not been given to us for our information. It's actually been given to us for our transformation. God wants to transform our lives. But how does he go about doing that? Well, he does it by transforming our hearts. And the reason that he adopts that approach is because lasting change comes through the heart. So this is not a shallow, superficial thing we're dealing with. This is about a deep, life-altering conversion and renovation. I think it's, it's Dallas Willard who writes that the greatest need of humanity in general is a renovation of the heart. And so if you're up for that, if you're up for a heart makeover, if you would appreciate an MOT of the heart, which I actually believe we all need. I know I need it. Then I invite you to attend what I hope is going to become a bit of an alternative Sunday morning surgery for the next couple of months. But where do we start? Well, somehow, I think it needs to begin with the possession of a a new heart. In other words, we all need to receive an initial heart transplant. And there are very definite references to this in the Old Testament. Via Ezekiel the prophet, God on a couple of different occasions refers to the possibility of this prospect for the people of God. It's mentioned in Ezekiel 18. And then in chapter 36, God overtly states, I will give you, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll remove from you that heart of stone which we've already been singing about this morning in one of the songs. I will remove from you that heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And so to begin this new series, I want us to consider the importance of receiving a brand new heart. And I'd like to come at this by reading a short section from from Jeremiah 31. I know you're wondering, when's he going to get to that? Uh, So, Jeremiah was another Old Testament prophet. He was a contemporary of Ezekiel. So, let's stand together for the public reading of God's word. And we're going to pick up uh, from verse 31. So, Jeremiah, verse 31, and we're going to read down to verse 34. The days are coming, or there is a time coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the old covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will write my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Please take your seats. So, how do we go about... This is very much an introductory this morning. So, how do we go about... Getting a new heart. How does that happen? Well, I'm sure many of you have heard the rather cliched phrase that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Uh, But actually, that's a great phrase because according to God's word, we have been invited into a deep personal relationship with God. And the Bible calls this or refers to this as a covenant relationship. Now, covenant is a key theme that runs throughout throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, some people would say there are two main themes in Scripture, covenant and kingdom. 
But a covenant relationship is one of intimacy and commitment. That's why a marriage is a covenant relationship of intimacy and commitment. And through the Bible, you discover God entering into covenant relationships with various people at various times. So, for example, there's the covenant with Noah, there's the covenant with Abraham, and then there's the Sinai covenant with Moses. And Israel were God's covenant people. But as we know, they kept shattering this intimate and committed relationship with God time and time again because of their idolatry, their infidelity, their compromise, and their blatant disobedience. And so God had to raise up prophetic voices who would speak into the context and who would continually call the people back into relationship with God. And Jeremiah is one of those voices. In fact, his was a very strong, lamenting, prophetic voice who spoke into the heart or which spoke into the heart of a nation. Jeremiah, as you know, is is known as the weeping prophet. And his ministry lasted for 40 years. Five different kings came and went during his career. And although he was treated appallingly, I mean, he was thrown into prison. On one occasion, he was thrown in a sewer. He was constantly rejected by just about everybody, including his family. But he kept speaking to a group of people whose hearts had gone hard. Now, just to be clear on this idea of of God being or wanting to be in relationship with people, take a look at verse 32. Because there God describes himself, himself as their husband. In other words, this was like a marriage relationship. The most intimate and committed of relationships. But Israel kept behaving like an unfaithful wife. It's implied here, it's explicit elsewhere in Jeremiah. They cheated They kept cheating on their God over and over again. And in one sense, the old covenant was gone, it was shattered, the relationship broken, and it couldn't be resurrected as if nothing had happened. But God didn't leave it or doesn't leave it that way. God didn't walk away, even though it would have been perfectly understandable if he had. But instead, God prepares or is preparing to do a new thing. And I love that aspect of God's character. God never wants to leave us where we are. He continually is wanting to do something new in our hearts and in our lives. And Jeremiah chapter 31 signifies the beginning of a brand new day. And that's why it's such a key section of the Bible, because contained within the verses that we just read is reference to a time coming or days coming whenever God's going to make a new covenant with his people. And a new covenant implies a brand new relationship, different from the old. The problem with the old, it had been a failure of relationship. The remedy, therefore, was a restoration of relationship. And therefore, what the people needed more than anything else was a change of heart. They needed a new heart. And so at the heart of this new covenant, at the heart of Jeremiah's message, which reaches its peak, it reaches its climax in this chapter, is this idea of a renovated heart. Because you'll notice from the text that this covenant wasn't going to be written on stone. But this time, it was going to be written on people's hearts. It was going to radically shift from external to internal. And so it was going to involve a change deep within them. It was going to lead to hearts that would no longer be divided. 
Hearts that would be connected, completely connected and totally committed to God. If you jump forward to verse 32 of, or verse 39 of chapter 32, God speaks about the people having a singleness of heart. And I love that phrase. And I love that idea. And I long for that. I long that I would be someone who has a singleness of heart. In other words, a heart that is committed to God first and foremost. A heart that puts nothing else and puts no one else. And that's the hard bit. But a heart that puts no one else before God. Jeremiah, you see the thing is that according to God through Jeremiah, he wants the hearts of his people. Because this covenant God invests his heart in relationship and he invites us, he invites people to invest our hearts in relationship with him. And Jeremiah could only speak of this term or is this as a future reality. A time coming, he says, days coming when this would happen. But for us today, this new, and I know this is deep and this is complex and it's almost too complicated really to get into. But for us, this new covenant is a present reality and it's here in Jesus And that is why every single week, whenever we come to this table, which we're going to be doing this evening, and I want to say a wee bit about how we're going to do it later on uh, in what I share. But whenever we come to this table each week, whoever is leading often reads these words. And he, Jesus, took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And in doing that, Jesus was making a kind of connection with Jeremiah 31 because under the old covenant, we know that God agreed to forgive people their sins if they brought animals for the priest to sacrifice. And this agreement between God and human beings was sealed in the blood of animals. But they had to keep doing it. They had to keep doing it day after day, year after year. But in Jesus, this new covenant was established and was sealed in his blood via his sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf. And so as a result, we can now enter and we can now enjoy a new covenant relationship with God, a relationship of intimacy, a relationship of commitment. In other words, a heart-to-heart with our Creator. And therefore, and this is the amazing dimension of this, all the terms of the covenant, all the benefits that Jeremiah referred to, now apply to us. I will be your God. And you will be my people. And no longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord. Because, and get this, they will all know me. And I'll forgive their wickedness. And I'll remember their sins no more. Because, you see, those who possess a new heart, those whose hearts have been transformed, where this new covenant is written in Christ's blood, those are people who know that they belong. Those are people who know their God. And those are people who know they have been forgiven by their God. 
And so as I near the end of this, I just want to sensitively ask this question. Is that your experience? Do you know that you belong to God this morning? Do you know that he is your God and that you are part of, that you are a member of his family, that you have been adopted as his child? You see, those with new hearts know who they are and they know whose they are. And so this morning, on this first Sunday of a new year, is your sense of belonging to God, which is a deep need we all possess, but is your sense of belonging real, tangible? Secondly, is your relationship with God one that is growing and developing and maturing as you get to know God better? Is there in your relationship with God an ever-increasing intimacy? Do you know the reference in verse 34 of knowing God is significant? Because it represents far more than intellectual or factual knowledge about God. What is being referred to there is a closeness, a nearness, a friendship. And you know, I hope and pray that Windsor Baptist will be a church that doesn't just know about God, but actually knows him personally, intimately, and relationally. Is that your experience? Not so much do you know lots of stuff about God, but do you know him at a deep heart level? And is it one of relationship? Intimate, personal, committed relationship. And thirdly, do you know you've been forgiven? God says under the new covenant, I'm going to forgive you and I remember your sin no more. And Matthew records Jesus as saying this, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for you for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, the foundation of this new covenant is the pouring out of the blood of Jesus in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. So therefore, owners of a new heart know they are and have been forgiven because of Jesus. And owners of a new heart will therefore want to eat and want to drink in remembrance of that fact. And I mentioned that we're going to do communion this evening. But I just want to give you a little bit of advanced notice of how we're going to do it. Because we're going to do it, I understand, slightly differently than it's usually done at at Windsor. And I'm saying this so that you can prepare to come, maybe even choose to come, or choose not to come. Okay? But normally communion is, is served. The symbols are brought to you. But tonight... What I would like to do is encourage you or invite you to come forward to take bread and wine as a way of coming again at the start of a new year, as a way of in receiving the symbols of reminding ourselves, do you know, I can belong. I can know God. I can be forgiven. And possibly the physical act of walking to the front, which I know may be uncomfortable for some, may help mark the beginning 
of 2009 with God. As I finish, I realize that, that many of us here in this church could testify to having a new heart, of having had that heart transplant at some point or as a result of some process in our lives. Many of us would say that we have received a new heart and therefore as a result we have entered into this new relationship, this covenant relationship with God and that's vital. But as I wind this up, I do need to recognize that relationships change. They just do by their very nature. Do you know you can lose your first love? You can become lukewarm. You can drift a little. Your heart can get distracted. The reality of the relationship remains. Yeah, we're we're secure in Christ. Once a true son or daughter, we're then always a true son or daughter of God. But as with any relationship, you've got to invest in it. You've got to commit to it. You've got to work at it. You've got to nurture it. But for that to happen, your heart has got to be in it. And so we return to David's brave statement. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And as we close, I'd like us to use the words of this next song. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be changed and renewed. And if that's your prayer at the start of this new year, then I'm going to invite you to pray this rather than sing this. And I hope that as we come along on Sunday mornings and as we explore different heart conditions, that it will help you journey in your relationship with God. Let's stand together.